I, I think the funniest thing to me is that people think it's crazy that people live in tiny houses like this. And I was like, well, you just got out of college and the whole time you're living in like less square footage per person and no one thinks that's crazy. So. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 107 with Sophia and Henry Youngbauer. Henry and Sophia are currently living in their self-designed and built 28-foot tiny house on wheels in northern Minnesota, where they experience a full range of seasons, including a very cold and long winter. We start with an in-depth discussion about how they're staying warm in their tiny house and also how they're preventing their water from freezing both on the way in and on the way out. If you're thinking about living tiny in a cold climate, this is not to be missed. From there, we turn to rethinking the American dream and a discussion about values, lifestyle, and where a tiny house fits in for a young couple. It's a great conversation, and I hope you stick around. Are you fascinated by the tiny lifestyle but not sure if living in one is for you? Relax and let your tiny dreams run wild while you color 15 unique tiny homes inside and out. Coloring is a perfect activity for being stuck at home, especially after you've watched everything on Netflix. The Color Me Tiny coloring book includes a variety of tiny houses on wheels and the beautiful nature that surrounds them. The images all come from real photos that highlight the broad range of tiny house shapes and sizes. Each featured home also includes an interior scene to show what it's like to live in a tiny house day after day. So if you want to color a tiny Vardo on the beach, a cozy tiny house on wheels nestled in the snow, or several homes that feature their four-legged occupants, Color Me Tiny is for you. Color Me Tiny is on sale for just $9.99 and ships free via Amazon Prime. You can learn more at thetinyhouse.net slash color. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash color. All right, I am here with Henry and Sophia Youngbauer. Henry and Sophia are currently living in their self-designed and built 28-foot tiny house on wheels in northern Minnesota. Their goal in going tiny was to lead a more sustainable lifestyle and live more intentionally while sharing their journey along the way. What started as a dream after writing her senior paper on the tiny house movement in 2015, Sophia and Henry are so excited to be living in their tiny house and hope to inspire others by living out their values. They challenge you to explore how culture influences your life and to rethink what achieving the American dream can look like. Henry and Sophia, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hey, Ethan. Thanks for having us. You're very welcome. It's, it's great to finally have you on, on the show because I've, I've kind of been watching your build take shape for a while and now it's just fun to get to see you living in your tiny house how does it how's it been going good great (laughs) yeah it's been uh an adventure for sure i think we like to joke i think we moved in at a good time we moved in at the end of august and winter really starts kind of november here so i like to say once you make it through the winter the the rest of the summer will be smooth sailing so we've kind of figured out the most difficult part, hopefully, of uh, of living in a northern climate, I guess. Yeah, right. So you're 
you're in your first winter and mm-hmm. um i will assume that northern minnesota is quite cold um how's it been going uh have your systems been holding up have you have you figured any any problems out in at unopportune times uh well this has actually been a pretty mild winter i think for for norm but uh we we ran into one problem when we were gone over a weekend we knew um it had been what was going to be about 35 below i think for for the weekend and so at one point we had been using the we are, so the main concern is our, our plumbing in our bathroom. It's the only plumbing that's actually in the stud, in the studs, you know, it's cut holes through the studs for that plumbing versus everything being inside the house in the condition space. And so leaving the ta- leaving the sink running, just a, a light drip, like a decent drip in the bathroom sink, just to, just to keep that water moving and keep it from freezing uh, was the general idea. And that was a good idea but what ended up happening is so we had moved the house in at the end of august so then probably i think about two months in we decided it was time to level it so we leveled the house it was about three three so it settled a a little bit and was a little (laughs) bit off uh level so we finally got around to leveling it but at that point we obviously already hooked up our Plumbing line, yeah, the the drain, the drain line. So when we leveled it, we didn't realize we were actually changing the angle. So not only did we have water running quite slowly, but it was not a very well. Basically, there was a couple support (laughs) places where it had blocks, and yeah, it uh, it it made it basically flat. There's kind of like a, a flat spot right in the middle of the drain line, and so that really slow trickle wasn't able to drain at all once it uh got to that point and so it just slowly froze and then built up and then froze our whole drain line yeah. so we had about <laughs> it was a fun week but we, had about a we week, figured that one out <laughs> a week before we were able to get that thawed, so wow but it didn't you didn't get water spilling into the house did you well what uh, happened what i'll tell yeah. the story so we <laughs> got home and the water had been running and it, it, at that point it wasn't nothing was actually bad happening other than it was freezing but the plumbing chase so everything that goes into the plumbing goes to one spot and we have a mini split and a propane on-demand water heater which both have condensation or condensate lines and so those also go into the drain and that's not entirely capped it's it's just an open p-trap it's a it's an open p-trap with tube that goes up so then both these can just run into the same spot and so it backed up and then it came through that so we got home and we turned on the water and let some water down to go down the drain. And all of a sudden I start hearing this beeping we're like, what and we like, we haven't heard before. <laughs> so we walked in the bathroom, there's water coming because the water basically just backed up and then was coming out. So it's slowly, slowly running out. So we have a faux wall um, in front of our plumbing stack and our uh, hot water heater. And so, yeah, that's, that's where that stack is. And so we just saw some water slowly coming out of there. So basically it just, it had gone underneath our shower. So just sitting on top of the OSB there and then um, just slowly coming out underneath into the rest of the space. So that didn't happen until we got home and let water out. So So as soon as we knew there was a problem, I turned off the water. So we were able to catch it pretty quickly, but we actually, we bought um, Honeywell. They're like water detection leaks. So that's what the, the beeping was. They're just like a small, I think probably yeah. like a $5 alarm. So if water is, if it's sitting in water, it'll be. 
So that's that's what alerted us. We would have found it out pretty quickly. <laughs> where was it? Where was it placed that it started um, that it detected the alarm? I think we put that one under the shower because we, we put it. Wasn't no no that was just sitting by the by the um by the stack there. So it was it was no within, it was like, under the shower that we moved it other stack. But our okay, shower <laughs> we have a hepvo valve. I don't know if you've heard of those. So basically, it gives you more clearance so that you don't have to have quite as much clearance as a traditional P trap. And because we knew we were going to be in such a cold climate, we moved our the plumbing for the shower up. So that's why we used it. It's not in the floor. It's yeah. it's in the condition underneath. space underneath underneath yeah. the shower. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually use the same same one in my tiny. Do you find that you need to give it a little bit of hot water before a shower to like get it unfrozen? Only, only one time. One time where it was just like, I was like, oh, and then uh, we realized pretty quickly that yeah. it it, it it fixed itself almost immediately. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the little flaps in there are a little little cold. Yeah, <laughs> just the one time. Though. Yeah. So, how are you? Since this is a, a major challenge in the cold weather, how are you keeping your water from freezing on the way into the house? So we were really lucky where we are parked. Our landowners, when they bought the land, it was kind of set up for RVs, and so they've had tiny houses here before. So they have kind of figured out some systems for us that we didn't have to figure out. And basically, um, in the summer months, we're connected just like an RV. There's like a spigot right out front. But um, in the winter, they actually run the hot water or it's a hose that is heated that comes directly like from a conditioned area. So the only problem with that is one, you're using a lot of electricity to keep it heated. And then we actually have problems having cold water because the whole way it's been heated and so we've kind of figured out just put some water in the fridge but and then we have kind of like an insulation cap on the inlet so i think our biggest concern while we were building the house was weren't worrying about keeping our pipes unfrozen but really the only issues we had is the inlet freezing on us twice and the drain freezing which Basically, we bought some heat tape, so we haven't. We probably won't do it because now we're in March. But next year, we'll just have that attached, and if it ever freezes, just... you just plug it in and turn it on. That's actually a really smart idea. I, um, we clogged up the drains in the tiny house a couple winters ago during like really sub-zero temperatures and really deep snowpack, and I basically like. Like the tiny house, those snow sheds off the roof and creates these big like snow berms. And so I felt like a penguin. I basically like slid down the snow berm on my stomach with a headlamp to get under the house. And then like, like luckily we had a plug under there because we do have some heat tape somewhere else. And so I was able to just bring a hairdryer under there and like manually thaw out the, the drain. But Putting some heat tape there, not turning it on, that's actually a brilliant idea because then you're just pre- preemptively, you're just ready for it to freeze. Yep. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, we, we, we had a heat gun and we, we were under there. Sophie spent like, at least two hours the one day. Yeah. I spent about three hours the next oh, day. No. The and problem I think was, it was we just didn't, it was pretty thorough. We didn't know where it yeah. froze, well, so it was what, kind of just the whole Ethan, thing. what size, or do you know how, what the, the diameter of your, your drain pipe is? You know, I it's been a long time since I did that plumbing, but it's not, not that it's probably a little the, bit the part that froze wasn't the main okay. drain. It was basically my sink. Basically my sink and shower 
exit the house and then they meet a bigger drain line. Gotcha. And the place where it froze was um my my wife Anne um wanting to conserve water in a very like responsible way. We bu- washed a bunch of dishes at, at night and the sink was full of the dishwater and we knew we were going to have breakfast in the morning and like why not save some water. So she left the sink just plugged with a bunch of water in it. But unfortunately, the plug isn't like a 100% water seal. So all night, there was just like a drip, drip, drip. And basically where the water, the, the water drips and just basically hits the bottom of the main drain pipe. But it just created a blockage like right there. So it wasn't, it wasn't widespread. It was just that night. I see. Yeah. yeah. Well, we were really lucky because then the <laughs> next week it got really warm. So it ended up, we didn't even have to unfreeze it. It just got warm enough that it did. Nice. But the other thing is we haven't, we didn't get around to actually skirting our house this year. And so, I mean, it snowed so much that we basically have skirting from all the snow, but we figured, you know, with some actual skirting that might have, you know, not. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah, so I think that'll be a big improvement next year. We won't have to have to worry about it quite. So um what's the like legality of where you are? Are you just kind of under the radar? Like nobody cares or how how is we're that? We're kind of under the radar. We felt good coming here because they've had tiny houses in the past. We're also just outside the city limits. I'm pretty excited for what the tiny house movement could have in store in Minnesota. I know so Minneapolis, I want to say probably maybe three years ago already, they passed an ordinance so you can have accessory dwelling units in the city of Minneapolis. And then I think last year or maybe the year before that, there was a specific area in St. Paul that you could also do accessory dwelling units. Obviously, that's not including tiny house on wheels. No one has really addressed that. But just this fall, Duluth also passed a ordinance so now the small lots can be developed for specifically for tiny houses and that's the verbiage but it's tiny houses on foundations so that's kind of exciting but no one has really taken the the stand i guess to allow tiny houses on wheels right it's you're one step closer it's a natural next step to say well you allow them on foundations how can we kind of make ones on wheels also fit in yeah i will also say that while we were still building i actually moved so we basically moved two and a half hours north of where we we were building and during the time that i was up here because i already moved for my job i met someone that was building their tiny house in a very obvious spot and they had had their house there for about six months within city limits and no one had reported them yet so I think that the general sense that I get is a lot of people just don't care, but you know, it takes one person to report you. So Yeah, totally. Well, I really I, I didn't actually know until I, you know, read your bio that um, you know, your Instagram handle is is Rad Tiny Home and Rad is rethinking the American dream. Um who came up with that? Sophia or Henry? <laughs> I guess I did, but kind of (laughs) unintentionally because my paper that I wrote for my senior year was, I think, uh, rethinking the American dream, downsizing as a sustainable solution. So I kind of looked at the whole 
this housing market in America, and then specifically looked at the tiny house movement, and then also talked with a bunch of different architectures or architects that were doing kind of green building. And that was kind of what I was exploring. So then I don't really know exactly how we came up with we it. We kind of with like t- catchy names. Yeah, and I was, but I was coming up with really <laughs> bad acronyms that were just like, Cool. Yeah, then I was kind of just thinking back to how the whole thing started, and I was like, "Oh, that could be work, that could work." Rad, rethinking the yeah, dream. So. And pretty much, just she she kind of said that and was like, "That's way better than anything else we've come <laughs> up with." Like, yeah, let's for sure do that. Nice. Maybe you could talk about you know why tiny house living was important to you, or is important to you. Yeah. Um, I guess I just. Well, I don't know. I mean, there's a multitude of reasons, but I mean, I think one thing that's consistent between the two of us growing up would be, um, you know, just like having, having storage, like storage places in in our homes growing up where there's, there's just always a lot of stuff, which is normal. Kind of, we, I guess that just led to realizing you, you fill the space you have kind of seems. And we, we started to find that with our first one bedroom apartment. Where I was just, oh, I'll suddenly have all this stuff that we didn't even realize we were accumulating. I think that was kind of the start of, for me as far as realizing how important or how, uh, how it, I don't know, impactful it can be to, to really think about that. And so it was, she, she can elaborate a little bit more. It was kind of her original idea and I kind of warmed up to it slowly. Well, I guess the, I think really how it started for me is I took a course at Luther that was called Consumption and Its Consequences. So it was kind of, it was an anthropology course and it was like six students that were in there with me and it was probably my favorite course that I took. And we just did readings on kind of consumerism and how that movement kind of grew in America. And one of the exercises we had to do was actually take an inventory of all the things that we had. So I literally had to go through it, all the things that I had in my dorm room and we're living in dorm rooms, which I, I think the funniest thing to me is that people think it's crazy that people live in tiny houses like this. And I was like, well, you just got out of college and the whole time you're living in like less square footage per person and no one thinks that's crazy. So, so kind of just, reevaluating I think what really you know what our values were and then my senior year Dee Williams came to Luther and she talked she came came to my environmental studies like capstone class and then she gave a talk on her book The Big Tiny so um Henry didn't go to that but I did and I bought her book and I think I came back to where he was living at the time I was like oh I just went to this talk it was really really cool like seems like an awesome idea and I think the wheels were kind of already going in my head you know what what do I want my future to look like and I think you know you're kind of raised in this culture of you grow up you go to college you get a job and then you get a house and especially I know this is true all over the country but housing market is kind of just crazy I have friends who you know take six, seven months just to get the house that they want and then have to pay thousands of dollars over the asking price just to get it. And to me, I think I just wanted a different option. So 
And there's nothing wrong with that option either. It's obviously just to each their own. But yeah, I think I think we kind of figured out what what our goals were and what we what we wanted to get out of our our uh, I don't know our first real place together. I mean, our first apartments not those weren't real, but um, yeah, I think that it was it was a good time of our lives too. We we knew we knew that you know that if we were going to do this this was the right time to do it and we were able to do it now. So why not just go for it? And then I think too, sustainability was kind of at the core of it for both of us, Mm -hmm. just wanting to kind of reduce your impact. And then, you know, I don't think that tiny living is for everyone by any means, but I think if it, if what we're doing and sharing our story can help make someone kind of rethink maybe how much they need or, you know, then that would be awesome. Even in the smallest way, every little thing, every little bit helps. Totally. I'm curious how you see the tiny house kind of fitting in with your your life plans. Like, are you, did you build this with, you know, an end date in mind? Like, at some point we're going to, you know, buy a single family home? Is this a stepping stone? Or are you, are you kind of saying, no, we're going to stay here for as long as we can? Or I'm just curious, maybe you could talk about that. I mean, I think it has a lot to do too with just your circumstances for, you know, your parking situation and things like that. Uh-huh. We're kind of rural now and I really have been enjoying it. We'll see maybe how long that lasts. I think our goal originally was basically, you know, we we were rent- renting for, I think, three years basically before, uh-huh. after college, before we moved in. And the first place we rented was about 900 square feet. No, it was 750. Yeah. Okay. And by the time we left there, you know, after a year, they hiked the rent for rental price on you. So it was already over $1,000. So you're paying more than a dollar square foot for that. And then kind of in transition to the tiny house, right after we got married, we moved into a... Uh, it was like a three three seventy five. So it was, it, was, it was roughly 50%. Uh, a, a studio apartment and that one was i think 750 dollars a month or something like, like that and you know both being just out of college we were both working full-time and i was also coaching and also had another job to try to work on you know paying for what we wanted to do and so we were very rarely actually in the apartment that we were renting it just seemed ridiculous to me that you're putting that much of your paycheck into something that you're not going to ever own and that you're not even spending very much time there. And we're both, you know, we love being outside and being active. And I would much rather be spending more of my time outside than in a, in a small apartment. So. And to, to really address the, what, what our kind of goal was, I mean, I, you know, I think it depends on the day you talk to us, but, uh, (laughs) but, you know, I think we were, Kind of like okay, if we you know if we were well, we it took a, about a year longer than I thought it was. To build. That's how it goes, but uh, um, you know if we could get, I don't know, I think we we're hoping you know seven eight years in it, uh, that'd be probably the longest that we'd be able to. We we don't really know. I mean, we're I guess to be really frank, we can we're thinking we can have at least one kid in here, and you know that's that's a few years down the road still at least. So. Yeah, I think that I think we're we're here for a while, and then you know I don't think that tiny house itself, well, most likely is not ever going to be out of our lives. I think it's going to be you know something that we hold on to as 
guest house or, you know, just somewhere out a little clubhouse or something, whatever, whatever, it, whatever it is. I mean, I think the dream for most tiny housers is to eventually own your own land and maybe be able to host other people because that's, mm-hmm. I think the, you know, the tough part for a lot of people is just where you're going to park it legally. And that obviously hasn't necessarily changed in the last two years. There's still not an easy answer to that. And I think, um, I think one of the interesting things for us is we watched a lot of videos and things like that. We, I think we stepped into a, I don't even know who built it, but there was like one tiny house at a Um, parade kind of thing that wasn't really like it wasn't furnished there wasn't you know you don't walk into it and say oh I want to live here and so really the first tiny house that we ever stepped foot in was an Airbnb in Portland when we went we were on our way to pick up our trailer from Iron Eagle so we flew out there Mm -hmm. stayed in uh I think 26 it was a 26 foot Iron Eagle built tiny house yeah and then <laughs> that was the first real test we're while like, we were picking up our trailer. Like, so we're like, okay, oh, yeah, we're, we're glad we, we can that do we this. like this. There was yeah, no, like there this. was no like moment of panic. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, Honestly, it was the exact opposite. It was like this huge relief. Like, wow, like this is going to, I'm so excited for a space like this to be ours. So, but, um, yeah, well, I, where oh. I was going with that is like, I'd really, <laughs> and I know some people do this too. And I've seen, you know, a lot of people recommend staying in a tiny house before you go and buy one makes a lot of sense. I think we just kind of, you know, embrace the idea and watch so many like YouTube things that by that point, I was like, I can envision what it's going to be like without having to actually be in one. But I think if we were able to like rent it too, just to have people be able to try the lifestyle or, you know, understand it a little more, that would be awesome to do someday too. I just wanted to add one more thing on that exact, on that same table. Oh, sorry, I keep the table. It's okay. Um, <laughs> um, uh, I think that, you know, if we can, you know, however long we're in this house is going to be a while, but, um, I think if we can bring to our, whatever that next home is, you know, it's, we still want to live in a very, very reasonable, much smaller than the average size, size home when we, when we get a slightly more traditional sized home. But I think bringing, bringing the, the things you learn from living in a tiny house, the values, just the day-to-day practices. I think if you can bring that along to the next home, you're not going to just be filling the space. You're not just going to be filling up the garage or whatever that may be. And I think that is the real long-term goal and the plan. And I think one of the things that I'm most excited about just living here and having this be the norm for, for a long period of time. Yeah. I think we'll be here as long as we're comfortable. Cool. <laughs> now I'm not asking you to speak for like every, every, person who is young who builds a tiny house but a criticism that i've seen of the tiny house movement is basically like haha look at these millennials they are only living they're living in their tiny houses for x amount of time and then they're moving out therefore like this is a failure or this like therefore it's somehow not valid and i'm curious um you know just what you what you think about that kind of line of criticism i mean first of all you i think the experience that we had building is invaluable you can't take that away if we have a house of our own there's so many things that i learned from building my own house and understanding how systems and things like that work that 
if you're renting and never have to deal with anything yourself, good luck. But um, I think I've heard that criticism before too. And I think, I mean, when we went into it, part of it too was very much like, well, this is how much we're paying for rent. So if we live in the tiny house for X amount of years, I think it's about five years, that money would have just been going to a renter. So anything that we do with it after that point will be like profit if you want call it whatever expense and i mean if you look at the movement i think you know d doesn't live in a tiny house anymore i know i don't know if i'm outing you but i know that your (laughs) main residence is not the tiny house but i think it definitely serves a purpose and i think just you know for me the tiny house movement you know one of the other criticisms is they're getting so big and ours is definitely a lot larger than a lot of the tiny houses out there. I know it's certainly not the biggest, but we wanted to build something that would be comfortable for us. And not that you're sacrificing things, but you know, you want to be comfortable or two people. We know that we're two people living in a tiny house. A lot, I think of the kind of pioneers of the movement, we're definitely building them for one person. So I guess to answer your question, I think the experience, you know, is priceless. You can't take that away. So no matter if you're losing money on it or not, I think kind of the the heart of the movement for me is just the understanding that there's more to life than things. So yeah, well, yeah. I mean, i I think I think it's you get out of it what you want to get out of it. As long as you're getting out of it what you, you know, if you're taking something away from it that you didn't have beforehand. Like Sophie's, the words that she used, can't, no one can take that away from you. So, I mean, as long as you're getting something out of it, as long as you're, as long as you consider it a success, then. I I think for a lot of people, it's kind of a stepping stone because, you know, now our expenses are paying um, the, the person who owns the land a little bit every month, but it's way less than we were ever paying before. So, you know, to kind of, be able to save and you know otherwise you might be trapped in the system where you're paying x amount every month in rent and you aren't ever able to save so absolutely yeah i really like the idea of examining one's cultural influences to kind of see what what they're telling you about you know how it's okay to live or what's normal I'm curious if you have any any tips or ideas about how somebody can go about doing that in a in a systematic or a mindful way. I think for me part of it was I went to China right after I graduated and just understanding that you know other people in other places and other cultures do things a lot differently than we do in the United States. You know, <laughs> Americans are kind of known for you know, the big houses and all the things. And, you know, if you look at like, I I won't call it like happiness studies, but, you know, things along those lines, more is not, is not always linked with happier. And I think that our generation in general has kind of, I think more people are kind of realizing that it's not necessarily always about having the most money. And, you know, they talk about millennials being kind of pains because they want more vacation and they want, 
you know, benefits and they don't want to work full 40 hour, you know, kind of that kind of thing. <laughs> but I mean, I don't think that's true at all. Um, well, I mean, it can be true. Well, it can, <laughs> it might can be true of anyone. Though. <laughs> I'll make sweeping statements. Um, so what else? Just kind of examining, I guess, what you've been told and, or maybe how you've been raised and kind of questioning it. I know Henry, you know, when we got, got together, I don't know what really when we t- were talking about it, but probably when we started talking about the tiny house, it's like, well, you know, I always envisioned kind of a big house because I grew up in a big house. I loved running around in the big house and playing hide and seek and stuff. You know, it's just like, not that you can't do that here, but you know that, yeah, I think it's, I don't know if we're cutting you off here, but just kind of like well, Sophie said, I just mean, examining what you, what you uh, had in the past and you know if that's exactly what you want in the future and if that's the case that, I guess there's just, nothing wrong with that yeah just, just questioning why you want what you want and I think a lot of times we don't stop to think why we think the way we think or you know my biggest thing in any part of life is just you know you don't have to agree with everyone but if you have a reason for what you believe then I will respect that a lot more than someone who just says or does something and has no reasoning behind it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I mean, it's, it's kind of like examine, examine what you want and have a reason for it. And that's whatever it is that you want. That's fine. Like it doesn't have to be a tiny house or it could be a tiny house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, and I don't think, I think we were pretty lucky that I don't think we had any, family members that were like really against what we were doing. A lot of people were like, Hmm, that's interesting. interesting. <laughs> um, we kind of, I don't know if we necessarily announced the world or how exactly, but before our wedding, we kind of were, you know, we didn't really do much for registry. We asked if our guests wanted to give us something that the form in the, in the form of money toward a fund Finan- toward, a financial contribution yeah, towards, towards our tiny, tiny house, house or- is what we wanted. And it was obviously a really good time to do that because I think a lot of times for weddings, I've seen a lot of my friends get married in the last couple of years. You end up with just, you kind of get caught up in the whole thing where, Oh, I need to register for all these things. because I'm going to have a house and I need X, Y, and Z. Which sometimes you do. Well, something, and that's we teach, together. that's teach. There's well, to we, each. Lived, we lived together for a couple of years before, yeah, before we were married own, too. But, so we kind of figured out where we, so just made sense. But it kind of held, I think it held us a little accountable too, because we had announced kind of to all of our friends <laughs> and family that we were building a tiny house. So we kind of had to do it. <laughs> I, I think right in a way they were, they all became investors <laughs> in, in your project. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. One time it was like, I just kind of, I think we were about to walk out the door to like go work on the house and it it just been kind of a rough week or something. I looked and I was like, no, no, this was before, before we committed to tiny house, before we were buying the trailer and everything. Do we really want to do that? Like, is, I know, like I knew we did, but it was just like, maybe we, maybe we should think about like, you know, what would the alternative be? And she was kind of like, we told way too many people to back out of this now. Like, we got to do that for sure. I mean, it was definitely, I think for a long time, it was me kind of like, yeah, we got to do this. We got to do this. And then I'm so much of a planner that I think we could have been planning still at this point if it was up to me. But Henry was really like, no, we need to do this. So I think we both realized after the fact, but we got our trailer, I think in the 
April of 2017. No, 18. 18. And we didn't really start building until mm, August. August September. Which then our build turned into a winter build, which was definitely not planned. But yeah, that happened. <laughs> so yeah, I was. I wanted to ask how how long did you think the build would take, and how long did it end up taking? I think we figured what six months. I don't even know what we figured, but well, I don't know. I <laughs> I, I think you know I, I I framed houses for a couple of years, so I, I was like I was really confident with the framing, and I think. I think some of the, there's just so, so many things that I didn't think that we, well, it's like, you don't really think about it until we have all our frame we're about to start. And then uh, it's like, oh, we don't have our windows. We need to know how big our windows are going to be before we really do any of our framing. So, you know, it's just those details that come about and, you, you know. Very obvious after the fact what you should have been doing and planning. But when once you're actually doing it, you're like, okay. So, so basically, wound up take, well, total was wound up being about a year and about four months. Yeah. So, I mean, there were some logistical things that kind of played against us. Basically, we built about an yeah, hour. So it's, it's not our fault. <laughs> <laughs> we built about an hour away from where we were living. And Henry was working Saturdays. And I think so was I. I was working extra shifts doing all sorts of things so it turned up so we had yeah so we had one day sundays to build so we started building and then it was also a summer that i think we had eight or ten weddings to go to so we automatically couldn't build those weeks yeah so just i think it got very monotonous because we weren't getting very far and you're spending an hour or two hours a day just driving there and back and then because we built outside, we also had the tarp on both ends. So it was like... Especially once the framing went up, that tarping was, you know, an hour. It took at least an hour to put it up. After, at the end of the day, you know, half an hour to take it off. At the end and of then day. on top of that, we didn't have a very good... We had storage, but not super close to, I mean, what, 200 yards from our building, which is, you know, not terrible, but would have been nicer. If we could have had a staging area a little closer. Oh, I need that screwdriver. I need that bit or whatever it was. We we had we always bring stuff over, but it's like you 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 forget this one thing. And we had we had to run the power out and then put it away. So there was just like probably a good three-ish hours of things that had to be done to be building, but not actually building. And then on top of that, our closest (laughs) our closest Menards. (laughs) Or like home improvement type store was like it was about a half hour away. Oh boy! So, so yeah, we got something that was like uh, all right. Well, so now I'm actually really impressed that you got it done in a year and four <laughs> months, given those circumstances. Well, so I think we should end that with. So we started doing the build once a day, day or uh, once a week, really in August, yeah, and then once a, once a week in January. Right. Uh, right at the end of January into early February. I quit the job that I was at because we had figured out where we wanted to move it. And that was going to be two and a half hours north. And so I had found a new job up there, but I was going to take a hiatus to try to work on the house full time. Like I think it was like three weeks or <laughs> so. And Henry did the same thing. I quit thing. my job. And then immediately the week after that, it was negative 15 to negative 25 for a week and a half straight. Uh, n- uh. Something Off like and that. on, more like four or five days. Where there's one straight week where we couldn't 
working on it at all. It was just way too cold. Wow. But yeah, it was so, not the best planning. So it was just it was a combination of us not planning well, uh, some logistical things. Then you know, so we, yeah, we so there was about a, a month that we worked on it like full time, and then it went back to nights and yeah, and then Sophie started commuting, and I I wound up keeping a job working remotely, and so I would work during the day. And then in the evenings and tonight, I would I would work. And then if Sophie would, and then, and then he'd send me photo updates, and I would say, "Okay, that looks good." So what on, are we doing on the weekends, that? we would work together on it. After that, um, pretty much had all Saturday and Sundays usually to, to work on it. Um, and then I was well, working Friday, on Saturday. it. Right, yeah, yeah. So if we come back on Friday evenings, so half day Fridays. So then, um, yeah, we were able to work on it together in the weekends, and I was able to put in some hours in the. Yeah, sometimes it. I remember about my build, I felt like when I could string together multiple days, that the momentum and just the amount that you can accomplish in three or four back-to-back days of building, just you don't have to spend that time kind of being like, what was I working on? What was Mm -hmm. I trying to figure out? Like, you just get right back into it. It's also mental, too. You kind of, when you're you're only getting a little bit done, you know, and then you wait a week, and then you have to get another little bit done. Mentally, it's straining and it's it's stressful to know that you're progressing that slowly. And I think that, uh, like you said, the momentum is both on the projects and what you're working on, and both to, and just mentally, emotionally. I would say the other interesting. It was kind of nice at the beginning because, like I said, we had done a lot of planning, but then when it gets down to it, and you're like trying to figure out, you know, strapping. So it'd be yeah, you know, we we'd work on Sunday and then immediately I'd start researching what we had to do the next week or how exactly we're going to get that done. So it was kind of nice that you had a little bit of time to prepare for what was coming. But I also joked, I think, with Henry at one point because we're in Minnesota and it gets so dark so quickly in the winter that I think the majority of our build was actually done in the dark because <laughs> by the time we were not particularly good at waking up early because I think we just both tend to be night owls and we were out working on the house till well, 12, I, 1 a.m. sometimes. Because well, I, I kind of so, got in that, that phase yeah. where I'd wake up, work, and work on the house until I could, you know, basically stay awake till, and then I would go to bed. And so I kind of got in this late routine, so then it <laughs> yeah. just kind of yeah, became so the norm. We did a lot of building, actually, in the dark. Impressive. Was, well, the house yeah. looks really... <laughs> really great like the finishes are beautiful you did a really nice job trimming it out and, and doing all the interior stuff thank you appreciate that that was mostly henry i don't think he put up every single no you put oh, up, I put up you like put up two the, things like the six pieces in the bath but <laughs> i did get the pleasure of spackling and she sanding every I, single i think i spackled like i don't know four boards yeah, the whole length i, I know, did all the spackling she, wow. she was a trooper there (laughs) well one thing that i like to ask uh, all my guests is what are two or three resources that helped you out along the way that you would want to share with our listeners um have you heard of uh there's this little thing called youtube that was pretty no (laughs) that was this youtube was was really helpful honestly there's so many people out there working on different things whether it's a tiny house or not but tiny house specific videos out there that like this is really helpful. Well, I think, and I was also just to try to figure out kind of how we wanted to design it, just um, watching a lot of living big in a tiny house. Yeah. I think awesome. really helped us kind of hone in on what we liked and what we didn't like about 
different designs. And then um, one thing I'll say for sure, which I'm sure has been mentioned, but uh, Macy Miller's Tiny House People Facebook group, there's, you know, 10 or however many, I don't know how long it's been around, but there's like 42,000 people in that group. And so if people are asking me questions about build, you know, I'll usually answer them and then also say, go check out this Facebook page and put whatever you're looking for in the search box. And usually you'll find like, threads upon threads of other people asking the exact same question. That's awesome. And then I think you can pose new questions. Well, yeah, yeah, you can post questions and we'll give you a little shout out to Ethan because we got your tiny house decisions, I think mid build, mid build probably. So, you know, a little late, but I do think, I think it's a super useful. Yes. But it is a super (laughs) useful resource. If you are just starting just, there's so many decisions that you don't even know that are decisions. And one of the things I think about our build is that you can't know what you don't, or you don't, what is it? You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You can't know what you don't know. And so, you know, just kind of thinking through all the things that you're going to need to know it and having a resource that kind of lays out for you is great. And then, I mean, I mentioned D in here, I think too, is kind of the inspiration mm-hmm. um, for she's, me. She's wonderful. Have you been back in touch with Dee at all? Does she yeah, know that, well, that she inspired your tiny house build? Yeah, she does. We actually, so Henry is good friends with Dee's nephew who he was the best. In, he was the best man in our wedding. Who lives oh, wow. in, in her in her tiny house? He he was the one that uh, that brought basically uh, his, it was his idea, I think, to bring Dee yeah to, 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 to lecture so maybe at Luther because he went maybe to Luther College have, with us and yeah. he was uh, environmental studies with Sophie and yep. so that was how uh, that connection originally started. But so we got our trailer from Iron Eagle. And so we actually went out there and visited with Dee and got to see, is it the Don Vardo is her second? Yeah. Yeah. The so tiny, really, the really tiny one. Yes. Yeah. Which was, and Henry's uh, friend our, our actually friend and his And his girlfriend, they stayed in there for like a month. Wow. That was from some funny stories from that. But yeah, we, we brought, we got our trailer and then uh, that day uh, we, we went up and. We pulled it up to Dee's house. So she's seen our trailer. And, you know, she was like marveling at it and checking it out. She's like, oh man, like they've come so far. Well, I mean, uh, that's her design that she helped, yeah, helped but, them develop. But just like, you know, seeing a, a, you know, seeing it brand new and seeing it, uh, you know, in our hands and like how excited we were about it. Yeah, she, yeah. it was, it was pretty yeah. special to be able to share that day, that, that day with her it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. She's and I know awesome. you said two, but I'll also mention, so <laughs> Isabel Nagel Bryce, who was also a podcast oh, yeah. guest. Yeah. We used her healthy home kit. Home kit. Mm-hmm. And so we built with pretty great materials. Yeah, that's, um, an, that's an understatement. They're yeah. Amazing. We, They're awesome we did our house wrap in like negative five and it actually worked. So wow. I, st- I still <laughs> have worth that. I still have some tape on one of my like sweatshirts that I've washed like 10 times and it's just like, oh, yeah, those, those tapes are amazing. <laughs> And then I guess I'd, this isn't necessarily a resource, but <laughs> just I think one of the things we really wanted to do in our build was incorporating local materials and as much as we could. So like our countertops we got from a a place that was so literally local, down the street from where Henry was working at the time. Local wood shop that they get most of their materials locally as much as they can. And I think that was just an awesome way to kind of connect with the community that we're going to be moving to because at one point I brought the planks that are our living room planks the birch 
from a sawmill that was in northern Minnesota. So I picked them up from work and drove back down to the cities with them. So it's kind of so. Yeah. So in conclusion, we got living big in a tiny house. Go check that out. Uh, what's the Facebook group? Tiny house people. Tiny house people on Facebook, and then Isabel. Yeah. Uh, Shoot, I had another one. There was D Williams. Yeah. D Williams. Can't forget about her. She's amazing. I would just say if you want inspiration, read her book. We yes. had, She's and great. actually, we had, I think Henry's mom and my mom both read her book. They loved it. And it's I just think, a good read, whether you like Tiny House or not. Right. I think that just gave them some understanding as to why we were doing what we were doing too. So, yeah. Nice. Well, Henry and Sophia Youngbauer, thank you so much for being guests on the show. It was great to connect. Thank you. Thanks, Ethan. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much to Sophia and Henry Youngbauer for being guests on the show. You can find the show notes, including photos of Sophia and Henry's amazing self-built tiny house at thetinyhouse.net slash 107. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 107. And if you're bored, don't forget to check out and get yourself a copy of Color Me Tiny, my tiny house coloring book for children and adults of all ages. You can learn more and get your own copy at thetinyhouse.net slash color. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash color. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.